I feel like a woman. Welcome to What She Said on 105.9 The Region. I'm your host, Candace Sampson. It's a big show this weekend with lots to get to, making it perfect for long weekend listening. Here's what you can expect in the next hour. Food insecurity amongst Canadians is growing, and an alarming 60% of Canadians are finding it difficult to afford groceries. Laurie Nichols, CEO of Second Harvest, is also worried and joins me today to share why. She also has some tips for ensuring the food in your home lasts longer and what to look for in the grocery store. Anne Brody has entertainment this week, starting with Richard Attenborough's The Green Planet, which Anne says is one of the best produced and most breathtaking nature docs she's ever seen. Plus, The Forgiven, starring Jessica Chastain, and Ray Fiennes in a stark portrayal of haves and have-nots. Plus, Mr. Malcolm's List, and much more over on WhatSheSaidTalk.com. Summer holidays have arrived, and parents everywhere are asking now what? It can be challenging to keep kids busy while ensuring they keep learning. Thankfully, parents have knowledge kids to rely on to help. Michelle Paris, Senior Manager of Children's Programming at Knowledge Kids, joins me to share details on their new series, Luna Chip and Inky, Adventure Rangers Go. If you're thinking about forcing your teen to spend some time with you this long weekend, you may want to listen to What She Said's Expert on All Things Teen. Ali Payne joins me to discuss why you shouldn't force together time and how to let go of the guilt that you only have a few summers left with your teens. The world is in the grips of a mental health crisis and people everywhere are looking for creative ways to rein in their anxiety and find peace. Gabriella Van Vizikas joins me to talk about how Copperwood Trail, a home-based horse farm, helps people find peace by interacting with horses. Finally, you'll want to stick around to hear about Understory Botanicals, an up-and-coming skincare company from Southern Ontario that is bringing together the best botanical ingredients with the best clinical ingredients. Maria Ramy, founder of Understory Botanicals, joins me to share why her skincare is different. It's another full week at What She Said with interviews that empower, educate, and entertain. So let's jump in right now on 105.9 The Region. on the precipice of a massive food crisis. Fertilizer shortages, runaway inflation, climate crisis, and war are all contributing to food insecurity for Canadians. Lori Nichols, CEO of Second Harvest, Canada's largest food rescue charitable organization, joins me today to discuss the current state of things in Canada, what we can expect down the road, and hopefully she'll share some tips for managing food in our homes, because I know she always has great advice with that. So welcome back to what she said, Lori. Thanks so much, Candace. So are you feeling, how are you feeling about the state of things? Are you feeling nervous? Are you worried? Yes, I am nervous. I am worried. I. Uh, it's not just about what's happening right now. Like we're all feeling food inflation. It's up nine point seven percent. It's in categories that are healthy. So just you know, the general middle class I, I'm not, is feeling affordability issues with housing and food and 
and gas. And then we think about all those people that weren't in the middle class or were, and then COVID happened and they right at the tipping point and COVID's not over. And so watching the global food supply chain change where a number of countries are actually closing their borders to certain foods, to exporting certain foods because they're very worried about their own populations is a challenge. And this, the price of food with transportation so high, just moving food is so high, the cost of food. I think we all, when we're going grocery shopping right now, we're not buying what we used to buy because even if, you ha- if you're not food insecure and you're not low income, it's, some of it is unaffordable right now. It just doesn't make sense to buy. If you are low income and you're already food insecure, where does that leave you? Right. I mean, I think we're, I read something recently that said, you know, almost three quarters of Canadians are feeling this pinch. So I can't imagine that somebody who was already struggling with food security, insecurity, they must, the stress uh, must be immense. So how is Second Harvest managing this right now? It's, it's a bit of struggle. And I was actually at a presentation today and it was over 90% of Canadians is the number I heard today that number one, their number one concern right now is affordability. So at Second Harvest, you know, we rescue surplus food and we make sure it gets to communities across the country. There's 61,000 charitable and nonprofit organizations supporting people with food. That is one grocery store to every four places providing people with food. And so moving food has become much more challenging because of the cost of fuel. So we have a fleet warehouse here. We work with third-party logistics. So even us accessing the food and moving it is, is more challenging. What we're hearing from the charities is it's never been harder in terms of there's more people than ever that need food. And at the same time, it's harder and harder to access food because many of them have food budgets, but their food budgets are small. And so they can't purchase the food that they used to. If we're working with surplus food, then you have to pay for the transportation and that's becoming unaffordable. So there's organizations at big organizations serving pretty big regions that are saying we can't do it anymore. So there's this domino effect of people need food more now than ever, but it's harder to get it to them. And so at Second Harvest, we're working really closely across many businesses, across the supply chain to see what we can do to make sure we get as much food as possible. If that means paying for the transportation, we do it. And it does typically mean we pay for the transportation because otherwise people are not eating. And and it is that, it's really that cut and dry. And what happens when people don't have money for food and what you're seeing is the healthiest categories, right? So it is meat, it is dairy, it is produce, those categories that you need, the nutrients you need for health. When you can't afford that, then you are forced, if you have a limited budget, and most people have very tiny budgets, you're forced to buy processed food. Food that is not nutrient dense at all. Food that is not helping you sink, not helping your health. So there's this domino effect that is going to impact education, health, everything. So what can what can the average, well, and actually 90% of Canadians do to try and combat 
this food crisis right now? Are there things that we can be doing in our homes uh, with our friends and family to sort of alleviate that that pressure we're all feeling? Oh, I always want to see a, a you know silver lining on this, and I would say this is one of the silver linings of this really difficult time. And we're just at the tipping point; like it is going to get so much worse. Um, but what we are forced to do is value food in a different way, right? Like we're forced to. We can't just buy based on, I feel like it, you know, it's not commodity purchasing. It is like, what do I actually need? So that's a bit of a silver lining. And, you know, we at Second Harvest really work on food waste and managing, like, why are we wasting all this food when right now it's harder than ever to get it? And there's still so much food waste happening across the supply chain, in our homes. So valuing food is number one. Shopping with a list. It's they're really simple, basic things, but, you know, and don't go hungry, which we've all heard forever and ever, right? Like, don't go shopping hungry. And in the home, uh, it's about storing your food properly. Everything is, the best before dates, oh, don't get me started on that. Best before dates are put on by manufacturers. So if you see something in your fridge and it has the best before date, it doesn't mean it's bad after. It just means it was at peak freshness. It doesn't turn into poison after. So please, Disregard the best before date. Go to the Second Harvest website, secondharvest.ca. We have the resources that will show you, tell you this is how long that food is good for. If you put anything in a freezer, it stops, right? Like it just stops where it's at in that day. So as soon as you take it out, it's like you're back to that day that you put it in the freezer. That's one of, I mean, honestly, I've had you on the show before and I've said it before, but it bears repeating is, you know, you have converted me on that best before date. I, now I smell it. I look at it. I taste it. I make sure that it is, you know, uh, before I even consider tossing it. Uh, and not just from the fact that we're, you know, we're wasting valuable resources, but also oftentimes you're just burning money. Uh, by throwing this stuff out. You might as well throw a $5 bill in the garbage if you're just going to throw it out. Exactly. And I think it works out to a quarter of the money you spend on food a year is really you're just throwing it away. And are you hearing more and more about communities getting together and bulk purchasing, making like, you know, I, mean, I know my mother and I, for example, are talking about the fall, like we're going to get together. We're going to be baking some stuff, all a whole bunch of stuff for the freezer together to sort of uh, share the costs and, you know, uh, really think about the long term. Are you hearing more and more of that? I, I'm not. It doesn't mean it's not happening, but I'm not hearing. And what about what about people growing their own food? Is there is that becoming a, a bigger trend? Is that happening a lot more? I think COVID actually precipitated that. Where we ha we kind of went into this weird space at, at, during COVID, where there was a bit of hoarding going on, and people were very worried about food. And honestly, everybody should be way more worried now than at the at the start of. Exactly. Because we'll always make it work, but supply chains are global. And so we're seeing just different global challenges that we haven't seen before. And we don't grow a lot of or produce a ton of food in Canada or, or we produce it here and we export it or we produce it here and then we send it to a different place to package it. So we, we do have to look at our, our food system and more holistically, like we need to manufacture more here in Canada. We need to grow and produce more here in Canada and support the local economy. And consumers have to get off of, I think, too, the whole expectation that we should have fresh strawberries all year and things like that. <laughs> strawberries are, are great right now. Go get them. They're out there. They're local and they're Canadian and please go enjoy them. But do we need to have them in December? Probably not. 
No, we don't. We are we are very spoiled. You know, we have a food system that is. We're, you should go to the grocery stores, and it's just filled. It's so abundant, and you know, there's research that shows that we won't purchase food off of a shelf that's almost empty. Like something's wrong with that. So we have to switch our brain around that. Like in my mind, if it's almost empty, it's so good. Everybody took it. I should grab it, the last of it. And uh, seasonality, absolutely. Like, yeah, you can have strawberries anytime you want. They're frozen. <laughs> Just grab the frozen ones. If, if you want strawberries, you can have, you can have anything because it gets frozen in time. Well, I know you're always sharing amazing information. Um, I, I follow you religiously. I'm just devoted to you. I think you're amazing. So I want people to be able to connect with you in Second Harvest. And obviously, people want to help. I know people want to help. So how can they connect with you? Well, I'm so accessible. Like my cell number's on our website. But uh, my email is laurien at Second Harvest. So if you go to the Second Harvest website, secondharvest.ca, absolutely connect with us. Uh, but also I'm pretty lively on LinkedIn. Incredible. Lori, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you so much for having me. I'm never alone. Hey, and excited No matter how hard I try, you will never leave. More with Candace Sampson and what she said coming up on 105.9 The Region. Welcome back to What She Said with Candace Sampson on 105.9 The Region. It's the long weekend and you might be looking for some entertainment after you spend some time in the sun. So what do you got for us this week and for Saturday Night at the Movies? Oh, plenty of good stuff. Whoa, whoa. Um, I want to start with something. It's an unusual lead, but it was so amazing. Sir David Attenborough's The Green Planet um, on BBC Earth and on uh, Prime Video. It's like a thriller, a natural thriller. So what happens is they found a fellow in the States who makes a camera that can follow a fly through the air to a tree, through a hole in a leaf, and then beyond. Hard to imagine, isn't it? Anyway, that's what they did. And so they've been everywhere. They went to Borneo, the Amazon, Malay Archipelago, Australia's uh, rainforest, which is 180 million years old, even to Ontario for the maples and to, to uh, British Columbia for the lodgepole pines. So this is what we learn is that plants are in a constant, aggressive, competitive life and death struggle for food, sunlight, territory, and the ability to be produced, reproduce in safety. Also, they care for each other. They have memory. They have weapons. Just stunning. My jaw was on the ground watching this. It's absolutely wonderful. In total, the entire series of uh, five episodes shot in 27 countries. So that starts on the sixth. So make a note. All right. Excellent. Uh, Jessica Chastain. I mean, I'm obsessed with her. She is just beyond the fact that she's stunningly gorgeous. She is a great actress. And so she's in Forgiven that comes out this week. Uh, yeah, this is um, with Ray Fiennes and it's called The Forgiven. It's in the theaters and it's a most incredible tale. You know how you hear about expats from the States and the UK uh, being um, uh, 
very haughty and 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 uh, overbearing towards people in other countries. Well, what we have here is uh, a man, an Englishman played by Matt Smith, Doctor Who, who owns this huge villa in the middle of the high Atlas Mountain Desert. So he invites all his English friends over to party and the women are wearing next to nothing and tons of diamonds and jewels. Everywhere around there is dirt poor. They depend on selling fossils. There's, it's a fossil rich area. So that's pretty much the only way they have of, of uh, living. So one night, um, Fines and uh, Chastain are driving out to the place. It's a 400 mile trip. He's been drinking all day and they start a fight. And then they run into a boy. It's the middle of the night. He was on the road trying to sell fossils and stop their car. So they can they carry on. They go to the house and then they phone the police. And I guess one of the servants there tells his, the boy's parents. And suddenly people are sneaking up to the house, throwing rocks. And the father of the boy insists that Fines, who was driving, come to his home in the middle of the desert so that they can talk about it. Fines decides it's going to be the end of his life and he goes along. He's not a happy person. It is such a thriller. It's just incredible. You're so fed up with the way people behave when they're abroad. I highly recommend it. You won't like Jessica Chastain's character at all. They're all cut from the same cloth. Yeah, that, and that's a sign of a good actress was when they can make you hate them in the in the role, isn't it? All right, uh, we've got a couple of minutes left. All right, so Mr. Malcolm's List. Yeah, it's it's amazing. And it's about a man in England, 1813, looking for a wife. He's very well off, so handsome, so charming. All the women are after him. But he, did, he goes out with them once, and then he kind of dumps them. And then they put caricatures in the uh, newspaper about the women he dumps. So he dumped the wrong person, and her country cousin comes into town, um, played by Frida Pinto. Mr. Malcolm, this fellow, falls in love with Frida, much to her cousin's chagrin. It's a social satire in a way. And you really hate some of these people, just as we were saying, they're doing a great job at it. But the man who plays uh, Malcolm, Mr. Malcolm is um, Ope Derusu. And he is terrific. I've never seen him before, and I, I hope we get to see plenty more. Um, so, yes, and Theo James shows up as a soldier, and he's also after Frida, but then he decides to go to the cousin who lost out. It's really fun. It's like a chess game, a social high society chess game in London in 1830 with plenty of great costumes and set designs. So it's a good one. All right, excellent. So we don't have a lot of time. So we do have a whole bunch more over on what she said talk.com, uh, including, sorry for your loss, uh, codename Banshee and the return of Call the Midwife, which I did not even realize was still an ongoing series. I'm so excited. Oh, yeah. Season 11 on Britbox. I am so Season excited. 11. Love that show. So I have to go back now. I did not know you yeah, liked that. One of my favorites. I did not know. Thanks so much, Anne. Have a fabulous, fabulous long weekend. You too, kiddo. We deserve them.
summer holidays have arrived and parents everywhere are asking, now what? It can be challenging to keep kids busy while ensuring they keep learning so they can hit the ground running in September. Thankfully, parents have knowledge kids. Michelle Paris is the senior manager of children's programming at Knowledge Kids and executive producer on the new original series, Luna, Chip, and Inky, Adventure Rangers Go. Michelle has steered the Knowledge Kids brand since its inception as the head of children's programming and was key in the development of Luna, Chip, and Inky. She joins me now to discuss. Welcome to What She Said, Michelle. Thanks. Thanks for having me on as a guest. It's great to be with you. So I I actually kind of love this. When my kids were little, I used to call this stealth learning. They were having so much fun, though, they didn't realize they were actually getting an education. So tell me about this show and how you weave in the educational aspects to it. So, yeah, Knowledge Network and Knowledge Kids, by extension, or Kids Brand, is all about finding that balance between entertainment and education. So um, when we set out to make our own original kids TV series for the very first time ever, um, that was forefront in our minds when we were working with the story editors and the writing team. Um, so, of course, the kids series has all sorts of adventures, lots of comedy, lots of fun, things that kids are really going to pay attention to. Um, preschoolers, particularly, sort of the kids in that three to six age range. But woven, in all of these 40 episodes are little life lessons, things that kids will um, relate to, things that kids will understand because they're going through them. You know, um, we really, we really, we're all parents, all the people on the writing team, the story editors have kids. And so we've all been through this um, and understand what kids are really um, gonna, gonna um, need to figure out as they're growing. So all sorts of early learning concepts um, woven through our episodes, um, but lots of fun and lots of songs too. So the kids really don't know that they're learning while we're doing that to them. Isn't that sneak? That's the best way to do it. And so tell me some of the topics that you cover. Yeah, so there's um, a bunch of different themes that we wanted to address in kind of the so socio-emotional learning area. Um, a lot of communication, things like listening and asking questions before you jump in. Critical thinking is a big part of what we're doing. Um, stories that revolve around um, working, working past to get past obstacles, perseverance, um, trying to figure things out and problem solve. We really want kids to grow up and be problem solvers. So we're showing them um, breaking down various um, obstacles to try and, and figure out a, a resolution. And then there are a bunch of other things like self-confidence, being, being yourself, um, and relationships with others. You know, kids are successful when they have successful relationships with others. So how to be a good friend to someone who has special needs. Or there's a whole episode about pranking, not taking pranks too far. Um, so learning to get along in life, uh, you know, with others and yourself, understanding your emotions and regulating those emotions. Um, so there's a whole bunch of topics that we address in these different episodes that are all done, you know, as I said, with kids in mind, kids, kids and what they can relate to. Now, outside of that show, Knowledge Kids has a, a whole host of other shows that um, kids can catch. So what are some of the other shows that you carry that parents can lead their kids to on Knowledge Kids? 
So yeah, Knowledge Kids, the um, the broadcast channel in British Columbia and the streaming service, which is available across Canada for free, has a huge range of great kids content. There's classics like Paw Patrol, um, Wild Crafts. We're going into season seven, which is one of my favorite shows. We've also got shows that are unique to Knowledge Network in Canada. Clifford the Big Red Dog. Um, actually, quite a few book-based uh, series. So Clifford, um, which I love, the new one. Geronimo Stilton, If You Give a Mouse a Cookie. Things that you have probably seen in book form. Um, Dog Loves Books. Um, a, a, a lot of literacy-based series. Things like Book Hungry Bears. Um, quite a few different ABCs, different versions of ABCs. So shows for every stage of kids as they're growing from toddlers right through until school age. So really there's something from sort of two to seven year olds. Um, and then we've got some great little shows that are um, like 16 Hudson is a show that has a really multicultural cast of um, characters and actors. So those are um, shows that um, portray different families, family traditions and cultures, different cultural moments, episodes on things like Diwali, Chinese New Year, Nauru's. So kids who, um, you know, are from one culture get a peek into another culture. And really that helps to facilitate that understanding um, among kids in a classroom where there's all sorts of um, different cultures that are represented there that kids are going to know and experience through their, sc their school years. So yeah, lots of great. And I love that, you know, all of the content on Knowledge Kids, um, you know, kids are not going to find anything harmful or inappropriate there. And I think a lot of parents are still struggling with this work at home, take care of their kids. So you want to be able to, you want to be sure that what your kids are doing is safe while you're not monitoring them all the time. So this is perfect. Uh, where can people access it? I, this is also an app, correct? That's right. So we've got a streaming video app which you can download for free. There's no, uh, no subscription, no advertising at all. Knowledge Network as a public service broadcaster is 100% ad free. So you can either watch online on the knowledgekids.ca website, or you can download the apps for iOS, Android, smart TVs like Samsung and Apple TV, um, wherever you download your apps. So just look for Knowledge Kids. And you can also find information, parents can find information on our um, Knowledge Kids Facebook page, which is really geared at parents. So that'll tell you about new upcoming shows, family specials, holiday specials, and of course, Luna Chip and Inky, which is our own original. And we're rolling out new episodes of Luna Chip and Inky all this year, right into next spring of 2023. So there's always something new to find um, whenever you check in. All right. Incredible. I could practically hear the parents rushing over right now because <laughs> I know this. I know parents in the summer want to keep their kids busy. <laughs> All right. Thank you so much for joining me today, Michelle. This was great. Thanks, Candace. with Candace Sampson and what she said coming up on 105.9 The Region. Welcome back to What She Said with Candace Sampson on 105.9 The Region. I felt a little fear upon my back. I said, don't look back, just keep on walking. Ooh. Ooh. 
The world is in the grips of a mental health crisis and people everywhere are looking for creative ways to rein in their anxiety and find peace. Gabriella Van Vakitis is the owner and founder of Copperwood Trail, a home-based horse farm that invites people to come and experience connecting with horses in a unique and life-changing way. She facilitates human and horse connections to challenge and inspire personal growth. Through Copperwood, Copperwood, sorry, Gabriella has found a pro- founded a program called Heard Empowered to especially help women to feel confident, accepted, and empowered with the help of her horses. She joins me now to discuss. Welcome to the show, Gabriella. Hi, Candace. Thanks for having me. So before we get to sort of, you know, how this can help people, I'd like to hear a little bit about your experience with horses, because I know there's a little bit of a backstory to you finding the beauty and power that they possess. It was kind of accidental. So I tell all of my clients when they come that I did not grow up with horses. I did not have horse experience. Uh, we moved here because my husband wanted to have horses. And uh, so by accident, I kind of discovered how amazing they were. It came with a lot of fear. I will not, um, you know, be ashamed to say that for the first two years I lived here with these beautiful horses, I didn't have nothing to do with them. There was a lot of fear. Uh, just they're, they're big. I don't know anything about them. And so that fear kept me from interacting with them myself. And only once I had to step in and feed them and, and do some chores with them did I realize that uh, there was something there that I wanted to explore. And that's kind of how my journey with the horses started. So was that the moment you decided you wanted to bring in you know, other people to experience with this? Or or was there some time that you spent sort of thinking about this experience and how you could share it with others? Yeah, so it didn't happen right away. Um, you know, those who know me know that I'm, I'm a very cautious person by nature. I don't like change. I don't do well with not feeling in control of situations. Once I saw what the horses did for me that day, I had to step in and feed them. And like I said, I was full of fear and hoping and praying one of my neighbors would show up to do it for me. Um, there was nobody coming. There was nobody going to be stepping in to help me that day. I was on my own. And um, for me, it was a very empowering experience to step in there with these creatures that I misjudged. You know, I really didn't understand how horses work. I thought that they were going to attack me and, and hurt me. And when that didn't happen and I was able to interact with them and I was able to feel supported with them, something shifted in me and I, I had this amazing experience and I, the only word that comes to mind that accurately explains what I felt was that I felt empowered. I felt that I could do something that I didn't think I could do and it was it was the horses that really helped me discover that and so not soon after the idea started coming in my in my head. How can I get other especially women, how can I get other women like me to come in here and experience this? Because I thought it was just amazing. So that's where it all started from. All right, incredible. So walk me through then what uh, a typical experience might look like for somebody who would come to Copperwood. So that's a great question because we don't ride horses here. And that's the first thing I love to share with people. People here, I have horses and they're like, oh, I love to go horseback riding. So my first message to people is when you arrive, you're going to be working with horses from the ground. You're going to be meeting them. You, I usually meet people in the driveway. It's my home. So they pull up in the driveway. I'm always out there to greet them. We walk back to the barn together. And then um, uh, we have four horses here. I love to just take people into the field, out into the space where the horses are. I introduce them to, to the horses. And then we 
make some connections. For every different person, it's very different. Uh, literally, whatever you bring with you that day and who you are as a person is going to affect how your experience is with the horses. And so it's unique for everybody. But you will be, you know, grooming horses and touching them and interacting with them. We talk a lot about life skills and body language. So there is no fear of, oh, I don't want to fall off a horse. I don't want to, I don't know anything about horses. You don't need to have that horse experience. It would be how I describe, like, you know, introducing you to a, a new group of friends. And so do people come and, do, and you know, experience this? Do they, do they tend to return? They do. If, um, you know, if you're a nature person and you like being outdoors, it is a very unique experience. Um, I, would, I would say we do have about 60, I would say 60 to 70% of our clients come back because they want to bring someone back to experience what they experienced. And that's the best compliment that I can get is when they go, oh, I have to bring my sister. I have to bring my best friend or I have to bring my mom. Um, and surprisingly, lately, we're getting a lot of I have to bring my husband or my partner. Uh, and that's new for me because I, I started off really working with women and we're starting to, um, you know, see interest in other groups and uh, younger people, older people. We have first responders that have started coming out to, to maybe cope with some of their anxiety. Um, police officer, we, we've had everyone come here and it's just an amazing feeling to see that it's, it's the horses that are doing the work. It's amazing. And, and I'm so curious though, because I just think, well, how, how is this possible? I mean, you're just, you're, you're feeding them, right? You're petting them. Is there a connection that's built between the horse and the person? What, what do you think drives this sort of transformative experience? I do facilitate an experience that is unique to you. So Yes, you will end up feeding the horses or grooming the horses, but that, that part comes second. When you first arrive, I usually introduce you out into the field and just even just getting your body somatically connected with the horses out there. Um, we do a lot. Most people that come do not have horse experience. Um, if you're somebody who rides horses and, you know, you go to you, you go somewhere where you ride horses, you probably wouldn't come here because you want to ride. This space has become a great place for people who love horses, you know, see them on television, you know, have always loved them from afar and just want to experience what is it like to be with a horse? And the surprise for them is that all of these other things come up. So they come to groom or to be interested, to connect with a horse. And then I start talking and connecting all of the dots that is that are happening when they come. So, for example, somebody might step in and say, oh, I'm so excited to be here. I can't wait to see the horses. And then once we open the gate and we get you out into the field, you're standing surrounded by them. There's there's no rope. There's no barrier. You're just you with the herd. Things start to come up. I'll notice your body language. You might tense up or you might walk. You might not want, want to approach the horse. And people start to say things like, oh, I didn't realize I'd be nervous. I'm a little bit nervous. And so it just is a wonderful opportunity to, to unpack what we brought, what we brought and the horses respond to it. The horses are, you know, they kind of mirror back to you what you brought that day. And so it's a great opportunity for self-awareness. There's a lot of conversation that comes up. And as you interact and connect with the horse, you open up and, and you're, it's just an amazing thing. It's some, one of those things that you have to experience to understand because uh, the words just don't do it justice. It's a very emotional thing for many people. And I just want to clarify, you had to go to school to get some certification for this, right? To, for equine therapy? I did. So I don't do, I don't call it equine therapy. We call it equine assisted learning. And that's what I was certified in. 
And yes, I did. I did want to do that because I wanted to learn as much as I could and learn how to be a good facilitator. Um, it's funny because I, I tell people, you know, I am not a therapist. I am a woman who has experienced this firsthand. It has changed me 110%. And so um, what I do out there is really just, you know, bridge the gap for another person to come and experience what I experienced and how life-changing it was for me. Most people who leave here um, that didn't, you know, that didn't come with a big group. When you have a big group, it's very recreational. It's very fun. And, and there's a lot of talking and taking pictures. When a woman comes alone or when she comes with just a, a friend that she can be vulnerable with, um, there's always tears. And there's always just a really, um, a lot of people say it's life changing. I never thought that hanging out and standing with horses and working with them would make me so self-aware. I love this. This is incredible. I just have one more question before we, we wrap up. Do you have a, an age limit on who can come? If a person is coming alone or to experience the session by themselves, I do usually ask for, um, especially younger children, to at least be 12 and up to participate. We have had younger um, participants, but that's because we, you know, we host family sessions. So if somebody comes with a family, then we we're we're not exploring all of this. It's a little bit more recreational, but you know, ideally, I I I love for clients to really get out of it what I like to offer to be at least eighteen and up, um, because you you are interacting, you are learning and talking. I, I I listen when I get down that way. I am definitely going to come experience this myself. But I want people who are close to you who could get there to connect with you, find out more, and experience this for themselves. So where can they go and find out more? So. You, I am very active on Instagram, Copperwood Trail. We're on Instagram and there's always uh, beautiful pictures and posts on there for, for you to interact with us. But we do have a website, uh, copperwoodtrail.com and uh, you can check us out there as well. All right. Incredible. We're going to put all this in the liner notes when we post it to podcast. And uh, thank you so much for joining me today. Thanks, Candice. It was such a pleasure to chat with you. I appreciate it. I can't quite get that because my There is an internet meme that goes around this time every year that says something along the lines that strikes panic into the heart of parents everywhere. It says, you only have 18 summers. And moms immediately are struck with mom guilt and try to plan the best summer ever for their kids. But when your kids become teens, not only are you hit with this guilt that your 18 summers are drawing to a close, but that your kids actually don't want to spend all their time with you. Allie Payne, what she says, expert on all things teen, is joining me now to discuss why you shouldn't force together time and how to let go of the guilt, Mama. Welcome to the show, Allie. Oh, thank you so much. This is such a great, I'm so glad we're hitting this in summer and I hope this reaches so many parents um, who are experiencing that guilt that you just talked about. Yes, you have 18 summers with your children approximately until they, I don't know, do something because I got to tell you, mine goes to university. He's 19 and he's still here for the summer, although working full time. So does that give me 19? I don't know where this arbitrary 18 came from. I, I, I think I understand it, but let's just call BS on it right now. Okay. Let's just call BS on it. Your teenager 
doesn't want to spend time with you. And can I just say for one second, I absolutely understand the heartbreak that that feels like, how, how it is so, how would you not take that personally when you have given literally blood, sweat, and tears into raising this creature and sacrificing everything that you wanted to, I hope, to, um, without going beyond, I also hope, to give them the life that they have. And they don't seem to care. And worse off, they actually are rejecting you. Okay, so let's just dial this back for one second. It doesn't make you a bad parent. You haven't failed. Your child is not the spawn of Satan. None of those things. The teen brain is going through two distinct physiological processes. One is individuation. Who am I? Like, who am I in the world? Not as a mini-me, which they were when they were a child. As, an, as a teenager, they're going through individuation. Like, who the heck am I? The second part is differentiation, which is who am I without you? As in, literally as in, think of like all of the nature shows you watch. How do I survive without you in the world? How do I have my own friend network? How do I figure out how to do things? How do I... And I know you're thinking, well, my kid does not want to figure out how to do laundry. Okay, well, maybe not that right now. But these are necessary processes in their brains to become successful, independent adults. Yeah, I think I, I'm going to pause you right there because this is a hard one for parents. It really is. It feels like a punch in the gut when your kid doesn't want to spend any time with you. So it's important to remind yourself, this is a good thing. It's a necessary good thing. You're right. And so really, can we just redo the meme? Can we just redo the meme and say you have 13 years? You have roughly 13 years where your child has a child's brain, appreciates time with you, wants to mimic you, looks for approval in doing things the way you do them, and asks the biggest question, did I get it right? And then your teenager goes through adolescent brain development, which is one of the largest in our human lifetime ends up differentiating and is intentionally trying to be apart from you. And their biggest question in life is, but do you still love me? And can you make that transition? Because here's what happens when you force family time because you think that quantity makes for a better child. Because that's also BS. That's untrue. Quantity does not make for a better child. Quality makes for a better child. And Roughly, the statistics are currently about three family dinners a week. If you're lucky, you might get um, one one family activity every week or two weeks, depending on their work and sports schedule. When you force family time, here's what happens. You are teaching them that your feelings are more important than theirs. You are teaching them to deny, abandon, and suppress what is true for them because they, they need to caretake you. And then, and I am seeing this every single day in my work, that same teenager, that gorgeous person that you poured into that you desperately want to still have a relationship with as if they were a child, which they're not, is now out in a relationship that is very, very um, unhealthy. And you can't figure out and are so upset with your teenager for not being able to say no. Why are they, why are they so taken in by this person? Why won't they just say no to them? Why do they let themselves be so hooked into everything this person says and they're being manipulated and blah, blah, blah. Guess where they learned to deny, suppress, and abandon their own needs and were taught 
to put the needs of others, even if they know it's not right and doesn't feel good, ahead of their own. Please stop forcing family time. Go for quality, quantity, excuse me, quality. So, in, so we used to have weekly, weekly game nights for every Friday. When our teens became teens, we maybe had once a month because of work and sports and everything else and encouraging them to be with great friend groups. And those game nights went from three-hour marathons to 45 minutes because then they were leaving to go out with friends. And we said, great, we love that 45 minutes, no problem. This isn't about you anymore. This is about them. So please stop guilting yourself. Please don't take it personally. I know you've done an amazing job and your child is trying to do what is inherently their natural process to do. Uh, Ali, you're, you know, you're always such a, a good voice of reason. It's so hard being a parent to teenagers. I know this. And trust me, it, you know, they come back to you. You know, they do. They do. Let Especially them, when you don't force it. Yes. <laughs> so let them let them have their space this summer and and let go of your mom guilt, right? Yes, you're doing great. Your your job is to help them fly, be free. So how about you do you and put yourself first? Go have the summer you want. Love it. All right. I want people to be able to follow along with you. I know that teens and parents follow you, which means you have some magical language where you can bridge these generations. So where can people connect with you? The best place is at Allie Payne, A-L-Y-P-A-I-N on TikTok or Instagram or my website, AllyPayne.com. Incredible. Thank you so much, Allie. Thank you. More with Candace Sampson and what she said coming up on 105.9 The Region. Welcome back to What She Said with Candace Sampson on 105.9 The Region. What's wrong with being confident? Uh What's wrong with being? What's wrong with being? What's wrong with being confident? Uh I first heard about my next guest from my cousin who messaged me about these amazing skincare products she had found, followed shortly thereafter by a message from my best friend who was raving about a cleansing balm from the same company. A big believer in the power of word of mouth, I knew I had to have Maria Ramy from Understory Botanicals join me to find out more. Based in Mount Bridges, Ontario, Understory Botanicals is a skincare brand that balances Ontario-grown botanicals with clinical active ingredients. Welcome to what she said, Maria. Hi, Candice. So happy to be here. Thanks for having me. Tell me why then there's, you say there's, you know, you look for this balance between botanicals and clinical ingredients. So when I first started looking into skincare and thinking about creating my own skincare brand, I started researching a little more about skincare and I really found this big divide between the natural skincare world and then the clinical skincare world. So if you imagine going into like a Sephora or even like a natural skincare store, you see that there's products marketed. They're like all either all natural, organic, you know, no chemicals, no toxins, et cetera. Or you have the other side where you have the clinical medical grade products that are, you know, found in the estheticians offices and med spas. And there's like this big divide and they all kind of go against each other. It's like you're either all natural and you're safer or you're clinical skincare and you're effective, but you know, you're 
quote unquote, a not so safe. So I said, why can't we just have both? Why can't we have beautiful botanicals, natural ingredients that are grown right here in my botanical garden and combine that with the clinical ingredients, you know, the retinols, the vitamin C, the peptides, all of the proven ingredients that have been shown to actually have effects on the skin and then balance that out with the more soothing botanical ingredients and just have the best of both worlds. I love that. And, you know, skincare in general is is a confusing, overwhelming space. And you're so right. You know, you walk into these stores and you're trying to choose what's going to work for you. You want to go to all natural, but you know it's probably not going to work as the as well as the clinical stuff. Uh, so I love that you've brought both worlds together. You have a background in science, correct? I do. Yes. I have a, a background in research. So I I have a master's in anatomy and cell biology and then a PhD also in neuroscience. So I've spent a lot of years doing research in a lab. So I spent a lot of years dealing with chemistry and biology and just kind of like learning how different compounds work. And actually my focus was, was more on the brain and how the brain is developed during the prenatal period. But nonetheless, research just kind of teaches you A, how to learn about a specific topic really well and B, how to decipher, you know, research and information and figure out what's true, what's good and what's not. So that kind of led me to create my own products and kind of led me down this path of uncovering, you know, are these clinical ingredients really unsafe? Is there something that we need to be worried about? Why is everyone moving towards this all natural world? Like, why is everyone scared about clinical ingredients? And really, in fact, if used at the right concentration, there's nothing to worry about. And they're actually more effective and better when they're used together, the clinical and botanical ingredients. So my research background has really kind of helped bring this all together. And then my love for plants and gardening has really kind of made this dream of like working my lab and then working my garden, this like balance in my own life, you know, it ma it's made it a reality. So it's a really nice uh, balance for me as well in creating the products. And your your brands have been featured in some pretty great places. Do you want to share where you're where you've been um, highlighted? I, I saw Self Magazine, did I not? It was actually the New York Post that highlighted one of my products. Yeah, yeah. So that was just I just launched uh, Understory Botanicals a year ago last March, and already it's been featured in the New York Post. And I was so excited to get this feature because they were um, raving about forest-themed skincare. So all my skincare is has a little bit of a forest theme because my name, my brand name is Understory, which um, basically describe like describes that middle layer of the forest, those plants and vegetation that are growing right underneath the canopy. So it's kind of like that middle ground. So again, it's describing that place of balance that's always changing, but it's always in the middle. Like it's always a balance between like the top and the bottom. So yeah, this this feature was done for skincare because all of my products, not only are they, you know, embodying the understory, but they kind of have more natural kind of foresty names like, you know, Emerald Temple and Flower Power Cleanser and Golden Hour Serum. Like they're all just themed that way. Um, and in this article, they were actually featuring the Blue Velvet Cleansing Balm, which is my number one seller. And it's just this amazing way to cleanse your skin. Um, you can also use it as a face mask. So, yeah, I was just really proud to have a feature in, in the New York Post because it's kind of a big deal. Amazing. So what's next for you? What are you what are you planning next? I'm just planning on growing and spreading the word. That's my main focus right now. Um, as with any small brand that's just starting out, I think just spreading the name is the number one goal. Um, my 
my best, like you, well, like you mentioned in your introduction, my best way that I've, um, you know, that people have heard about me is through word of mouth. It's through their friends, their girlfriends, through their neighbor. You know, I ask everyone or almost everyone that I can, you know, how, how did you hear about me? I, I don't recognize your name. And then they always say it's from my friends, from my neighbor by, you know, I saw this person raving about you online and I knew her from high school and I just, you know, kind of wanted to try the products. And yeah, I just think that's the best way to hear about, you know, brand and you can trust that it's really effective if your friends are talking about it, right? Absolutely. And I hope my friends listening today are going to reach out and find you. So where can they do that? So um, I have a great Instagram. I show how the products are made. I show my botanical garden. I show how I use the product. So that's at understory botanicals, all one word. Um, my website is also really great, www.understorybotanicals.com. There's a lot of great information about all the ingredients and why I use them and a lot of amazing reviews as well. Um, I also have a Facebook. If you use Facebook, it's again at Understory Botanicals. Um, so any of those resources are great. And you can always message me, uh, send me a message if you have any questions about any of the products, and I'm happy to chat. Incredible. Maria, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you so much, Candice. That's it for What She Said for this week. Stay up to date with our newsletter by signing up at whatshesaidtalk.com. And be sure to follow on social at What She Said Talk on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter for videos of these interviews and more. Finally, be sure to subscribe to What She Said with Candace Sampson on Apple and Spotify to re-listen to this episode and find full details for all of today's guests. I'll be back next week with more What She Said on 105.9 The Region. Previous episodes of What She Said on 1059theregion.com.